Welcome everyone to the Republic of Football Week 5. We're off and rolling. I'm Shahan J. Raja, the college football insider at Dave Campbell's Texas Football. If you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Give us a five-star review. Share it with your friends. We'd like to give you a quick thank you to North Texas Honda Dealers. North Texas Honda Dealers, they're here to help. And let's go ahead and get into it. Week 5 has all of a sudden become a really fascinating week. Uh, not just on the football field, but also off it. All of a sudden, it seems like free agency has officially started in college football. Clemson quarterback Kelly Bryant announces that he will transfer from the program. That's not a Texas tie, but it's indicative of a larger trend. So Kelly Bryant announces his intent to transfer. Tony Nicholson from Baylor earlier in the year announces his intent to transfer midseason. Also, Oklahoma State wide receiver Jalen McCleskey announced his intention to transfer this week. Why am I talking about this? The new redshirt rule has really made things very interesting. I think that there's an unintended consequence that has already started to creep up. Originally, a lot of players would go through and they play a couple of games, and maybe they decide that they want to transfer. I mean, we've seen midseason transfers before, obviously Blake Barnett at Alabama being a primary one. But all of a sudden, this after week four of the season is becoming a hot date. And the reason for that is with the new redshirt rule, if you've played in four games, you can maintain your redshirt. So all these players, again, McCleskey, Kelly Bryant, and Tony Nicholson, these are players who didn't necessarily uh, have their redshirt used already. So now they're using their redshirt now, multiple seasons into their career so that they retain this year of eligibility, and they're just leaving their programs. I don't think that anybody really saw that coming, at least not to this extent. There were some reports before the season that Jalen Hurts, the quarterback at Alabama, might be considering this, and and it doesn't seem to be happening right now. But you've all of a sudden seen a free agent market open with some of these players because Kelly Bryant's a senior. He doesn't have any more time to wait. He just lost his starting job to Trevor Lawrence at Clemson. He's a quarterback who's led Clemson to the college football playoff. He's an experienced player. But he's not necessarily an NFL prospect, so now if he wants to ever play football and start football games ever again, this is kind of his move. It's a difficult situation because you can't fault McCleskey for wanting to get the playing time that he wants because, again, this is they have a four-year period to be able to play football at this level. Once that period is over, that's it, you know? So I'm all for players kind of holding on to their eligibility and making decisions that are best for themselves, but it's really difficult. And it does leave teams in very interesting positions because, again, now McCleskey's gone. Oklahoma State has to find wide receivers to step up in his wake. Tony Nicholson's gone. Baylor has to find wide receivers to step up in his wake. Kelly Bryant's gone. Clemson has to rely on a true freshman quarterback and just hope that he doesn't get injured. It's, It's a tough situation, and... I'm curious to see how teams deal with it. You know, this redshirt rule really has been very interesting through the first couple weeks of the season. We've seen coaches make decisions to to play players and not play players. Uh, again, bring it back to Baylor. Baylor decided early on not to play uh, quarterback Gary Bohannon, their, their true freshman quarterback, early in the year because they felt like they'd need him later in the year. And maybe they will, maybe they won't. I mean, again, Baylor's going to be one of those teams that's really fighting for bowl eligibility near the end of the season. So, yeah, maybe you save some of these players for the the stretch down the road. For some of the better teams, maybe you play some of your young young players earlier so that that way you use their eligibility then 
and save them for the rest of the season when they won't necessarily get to play, but you get them quality reps early in the season, it's tough. You know, I, it's a really weird situation. I don't think that we have something that's, that's replicated this before. But anyway, it, I think that the redshirt rule is obviously a good thing. I think that it creates opportunities for players to get on the field earlier than they thought. But again, these unintended consequences are coming pretty quickly. And I think that they're only going to continue to come. Moving on, the Texas Longhorns over the weekend, they pick up a huge, huge win over TCU. It's two r wins over a ranked opponent. And all of a sudden, I think that you have to feel different about this Texas team. At one point, you sort of felt like, eh, Texas is going to maybe be fighting for a bowl game. I mean, they've really oscillated between <laughs> they can win 10 games this year and they can win four games this year. And obviously, somewhere in between is correct. I mean, I think that they're still probably looking at about eight to nine. But they look really dang good. I mean, again, TCU came into the year as one of those teams that you expected to maybe compete for the conference. And even after losing to Ohio State, that didn't necessarily change our opinion all that much about TCU. So now what? TCU doesn't look like that team necessarily, but maybe it's just because Texas is playing that well. And we will learn more about this Texas team over the next two weeks. They travel on the road to go play Kansas State, and Kansas State is struggling. But keep in mind, Texas has only won once all time in Manhattan, Kansas. Once. And not all of those Kansas State teams were good either. They've only won once on the road in Manhattan, Kansas. And that was 2002? It's been a long time. It's been a really long time. The, <laughs> the stat of the day, Caden Stearns was only two years old the last time that Texas won in Manhattan, and that was the only time. Now, this Texas team should go on the road and crush Bill Snyder's Kansas State team. It really shouldn't be close. There's no reason that it should be close because Kansas State really struggling to move the ball right now, and they did it against Mississippi State and against West Virginia, two teams that have good defense, but certainly not great defenses. And Texas potentially has a great defense. So we'll learn a lot, I think, about Texas this week going on the road to Kansas State. And then the week after that is Red River. And Oklahoma looks beatable. They sure looked beatable against Army last week. Uh, losing Rodney Anderson has proven to be a pretty big flaw. And we'll talk about Oklahoma a little bit more in our preview series as they're set to play Baylor this week in Norman. But yeah, it's interesting to try and figure out what exactly this Texas team is. We'll learn a little bit more over the next few weeks. Can they keep it going against the lower teams in the Big 12? But the ceiling is raised. That's what it comes down to. The other team that the ceiling is raised is Texas Tech, and we'll talk about them in just a moment. But Texas and Texas Tech, I mean, who would have thought that those would be the two teams still ranked after week four of the season? <laughs> you know, TCU's fallen out. Texas A&M's fallen out after losing to Alabama over the weekend. And, and A&M will be fine. And TCU's probably going to be fine. But, man, Texas and Texas Tech are the two teams ranked in the AP Top 25. The third team you should be ranked, UNT. <laughs> UNT on Saturday hosts one of their tougher home games of the year. Probably their second toughest behind FAU, which is a Thursday game in November. They host Louisiana Tech, a perennial very good team in Conference USA. They've won nine games four of the last six years. So Louisiana Tech is certainly no pushover, but it's going to be a huge game for UNT. It's their first home game since beating Arkansas on the road in week three of the season. Obviously, last week they played Liberty on the road. More importantly, 
Saturday is going to be a huge afternoon because they are celebrating the greatest player in the history of UNT football, Mean Joe Green, college football Hall of Famer, pro football Hall of Famer, easily the best player to ever come from the University of North Texas, although it wasn't called UNT then. Mean Joe Green's back in town to have a statue dedicated, and UNT's going all out. You need to check TexasFootball.com because they have a fantastic, fantastic video where they announce what exactly they're going to do to honor Mean Joe Green. UNT's going to be wearing 1967 throwback uniforms, and more importantly, they're actually going to have a player wearing Mean Joe Green's iconic number 75. What an honor. <laughs> they actually put out a video announcing that in the style of that old Coca-Cola commercial uh, that, that Joe Green was in. You know, the one where he throws the towel and says, here, kid. Well, he does that with uh, UNT defensive end Ladarius Hamilton, who will be wearing his number 75 on Saturday. It's going to be a special day. I'm excited. I'm going to Lubbock this week, but I'm a little sad that I can't be in Denton for this game because it, it should be dang close to a sellout. I'm, I'm going to put that on the table. It should be dang close to a sellout. This is a huge game. If UNT is able to win this game convincingly, again, there's really only one especially tough game left on the schedule, and that's at home against FAU. ESPN's FBI is really high on UNT this year. They give them a 31% chance to go undefeated and over a 50% chance to win Conference USA. So that all starts on Saturday as they host Louisiana Tech. If they can beat Louisiana Tech, again, a team that consistently wins nine games almost every single year in Conference USA, if they can go and beat them, especially if they can beat them consistently, if they can hold them underwater, that would be a huge win. It would say a whole lot about the future of the program. I'd especially like to see a good defensive performance. And yet, last week, Louisiana Tech played LSU, gave them a whole lot of trouble. And again, we'll talk about that in a second when we do our previews, but UNT, big game this week. And it should be a really fun atmosphere. It should be a great game. Again, you can't you can't beat having the best player in the history of your program in the building. I'm excited to see how it goes. Now, we'll have to get into another thing about how the game is being broadcast on the BN network, which is a network that I've never heard of. <laughs> but, but it's going to be an exciting game. Find a way to watch if you can, but really, you need to get there. You really need to get there. We actually are putting out a viewer guide tomorrow, and UNT's game against... Louisiana Tech is the second cheapest game of the entire weekend. Only $39 on average per ticket per our partner's Ticket City. So get on out there. Go see it. If you're in the DFW area, that's the game of the weekend. Anyway, we're going to go ahead and move on. We've got a great interview with the Lubbock, oh my gosh, with the Lubbock Avalanche Journal's Carlos Silva, the sports editor over there. Carlos is a fantastic guest. So stick around, and we'll be right with you after the break. We're joined now by Carlos Silva from the Lubbock Avalanche Journal. He covers Texas Tech, uh, focuses mostly on basketball, but does a lot of football too. Carlos, how are you doing today? Fine and you, man. It's just a little bit rainy now in Lubbock. Usually the wind's really kicking up at this point, but uh, the temperatures are really low. It's about 50, and it's uh, really muggy, but certainly some good times here in uh, Red Raider land as they got that big win over the weekend. Yeah, yeah, I can't imagine. Well, I'll, t I'll tell you what, over here in Dallas, too, it's absolutely rainy, too. I mean, we've had so many games delayed just by uh, all the rain the past couple of weeks. So hopefully that clears up soon. I mean, it, uh, it really puts a damper on everything. 
Oh, absolutely. And not only that, but then it kind of messes up your schedule because then you got to push back a game and you got to cover a bunch of other stuff later in the week, right? Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Well, like you mentioned, I mean, Texas Tech right now, uh, I'm sure it's exciting times right now in Lubbock. Uh, obviously, last week they go to Stillwater, Oklahoma, win 41-17 to over Oklahoma State, a team that most teams can't beat in Stillwater. How big was that win and kind of where does it rank in the Kingsbury era? I mean, I, I don't know if you want to rank it, but I certainly think it's a uh, move in the right direction for Cliff Kingsbury and David Gibbs, who's obviously in his fourth year with the with the team as he's been basically building up that defense for the past couple seasons. And now you kind of saw, at least when we were asking him at a press conference earlier this week, that's what he wants to see from his defense, or that's at least what he is hoping to see in terms of the effort, which if you can only give up 17 points to a very potent Oklahoma State offense, and then, of course, you're putting up about – 40 40 or something points i mean you're going to be in a good position to win any big 12 game but just to kind of answer your question in terms of where it ranks for cliff kingsbury i mean he had some pretty big wins early in his career where in his first year they went eight and five i believe or eight and four i can't remember which one it was and uh, they won a bowl game that year certainly it was a big certainly had some big wins that year but i think this year this is certainly that moving the, in the right direction. I, I wanted to call it a signature win, but I'm going to kind of pump the brakes on that up until they have this big game against uh, West Virginia on Saturday. Yeah, well, one of the things that really stood out to me uh, in the Oklahoma State game was just how complete a performance it was. You know, it's not necessarily surprising to see uh, Texas Tech quarterbacks put up big numbers, but, yeah, you know, you have the running game really rolling. Obviously, the defense holds them to uh, zero points in the last 40 minutes of the game. Uh, you mentioned it, you know, especially with David Gibbs, but how much do you think it shows in terms of Texas Tech being able to win the game in different ways as well? Well, I, I think the biggest thing is they finally created turnovers because in that game against Houston, that was the first time in 16 games they didn't create a turnover. So certainly you weren't kind of getting the momentum that you normally get or you get that sudden change of uh, j- j- just a positive momentum going your way when you get a turnover and obviously you give it to an offense that is ranking first in the country in passing. And, uh, of course, Alan Bowman uh, at the helm of that, all the true freshman quarterbacks, second semester, really, I mean, when you really look at it. But in terms of what the defense was able to do, I, I think you mentioned that they were able to hold Justice Hill, who pound for pound, other than Rodney Anderson, before he kind of tore his ACL and is out for the season, was, I felt, one of the top three running backs in the Big 12 to – under his uh, normal uh, under his normal kind of average. And then not only that, but then a team that was averaging about 257 yards on the ground, and he held them to about 128, if I'm not mistaken. That just goes to show the type of effort. And not only that, but then the push that the defensive line was getting up against that Oklahoma State offensive line. How different is this defense with Deshaun Johnson in there? I, I mean, it, I mean – <laughs> Everyone at the beginning of the week kind of asked uh, Deshaun about that, and not only that, but Cliff Kingsbury. And, I mean, they've been saying the same thing. He, he lines up guys. He brings the juice. He's a, a big trash talker, and not necessarily in a bad way, but just a guy that kind of pumps his guys up and really kind of sets the tempo for that defense. And you could certainly see that with the way that the hits were getting laid down by him, obviously breaking up passes, and guys were in the right position making plays, and Adrian Fryer redshirt. Uh, defensive back making that interception that was huge last week as well but I think that the most important stat to not 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 necessarily set a precedent but the fact that they held Oklahoma State to zero pass yards in that fourth quarter I thought was a huge telling sign as to what Texas Tech was able to do because that defense really allowed the offense to kind of get going and score those 27 unanswered points to win that game 
So Cliff Kingsbury mentioned after the game that he feels like there's a level of buy-in from the entire roster, the entire staff uh, that has kind of made this a little bit of a different season for them. Have you been able to kind of feel that just being around the team? It, it, it's funny when coaches say buy-in because, I mean, certainly that there was buy-in last year, but I think that the one thing that made last year kind of different was that Texas victory because you could kind of see the tide turn in that game because it, it was one of those games where you're like, well, here we go again. Texas Tech is unable to get a victory. And then all of a sudden, Justice Parker makes that, I mean, unbelievable interception, returns the ball. And then, of course, Texas Tech goes on to win that as Nick Shimanek, of course, uh, led a game-winning drive uh, after he replaced McLean Carter, uh, who was the, f- the first starter going into this year before he got hurt. Now Alan Bowman is, of course, uh, the quarterback and won the last three games. But I think the buy-in isn't necessarily the word. I think it's just they're looking to validate themselves. And I think that's going to be a word that maybe uh, is kind of said a little bit more around here because coach Cliff Kingsbury knows what he has. He now has a quarterback. He now has a wide receiving core, which a lot of people kind of wrote off quite frankly, because you lose a Kiki QT, you lose a Dylan Cantrell, a Derek Willies, Cameron Batson, you lose all this production. Everyone's wondering, well, where's the production? Cause we haven't heard any of these guys. Well, you got an Antoine Wesley had stepped up, a TJ Vasher, who is making the Sports Center top 10 plays almost every week. And then you've got a Kashan Carter, a freshman speedster that's really stepping up for you. And then, of course, as you mentioned earlier, uh, Shihan, is uh, the running back core. And this is being done without Trey King and DeLeon Ward, by the way. I mean, you've got two freshmen, Sir Roderick Thompson and Tajon Henry, really stepping up for this offense. And, of course, most important part, those guys up front, Five returning, five returning guys with starting experience from last year, starting with Paul Stairs at the center position. I think you, you really have, and I don't know if it's the buy-in, but like I said, these guys all feel like it was building towards this moment. I know it took six years. I know Texas Tech fans were kind of wondering what was going on, but certainly Kirby Hoka, the athletic director, kind of saw what was going on behind the scenes, and I think you're kind of finally seeing the the uh, remnants or just the the, uh, the the fruit being bared after all the work that Kingsbury and his staff have done yeah you know obviously Texas Tech is known for one thing above else and and I kind of thought that quarterback would be a question mark coming into the season you know you had McLean Carter you had Jet Duffy you didn't really know which guy was going to start McLean Carter didn't look particularly good last season in his limited experience but now you have Alan Bowman the true freshman Uh, why is he been able to have so much success right away well, the biggest thing that Coach Kingsbury's mentioned is he takes care of the football and he prepares like he's starting every week. And that was the whole reason that uh, Coach Kingsbury mentioned that he was brought in that game right after uh, McLean Carter uh, suffered that high ankle sprain, I want to say, in the third series of that game, was he just felt like uh, he was going to go with Alan Bowman. He felt like he prepared well, didn't turn the ball over during the offseason, and certainly he showed that. Uh, for the first 133 passes, I want to say, up until uh, going into Oklahoma State, he hadn't thrown an interception. Then, of course, he threw two against the uh, the Cowboys. But I think the, the one thing that you have to take into account is, as K- Cliff Kingsbury said, he liked the way that he bounced back following the interception. He knew it was a bad pass. Kingsbury got onto him. He uh, wouldn't repeat what he told us or what he told him. But uh, he did say that he did uh, tell Alan Bowman to make some adjustments, and certainly he did. And he's... I want to say he's built enough equity to kind of supplant or kind of cement himself, pardon me, as the starting quarterback now for the Texas Tech Red Raiders. And once you get your quarterback, I think the rest of that offense really kind of flows in, as you kind of mentioned. You mentioned that you don't really know right now whether Oklahoma State's a signature victory. And obviously, next week, they're hosting West Virginia, a huge game in Lubbock. 
number 12 overall West Virginia. Texas Tech ranked for only the second time since 2013. What do you expect from that game, and, and what is success in this game, too? I think that the one thing you have to see is how does Texas Tech play against a offense that has a veteran quarterback, because let, let, let's be honest, Oklahoma State did not have all the weapons it had last year. It was missing James Washington. It was missing key players on the defense. It was missing key guys from the offensive line. And not only that, but then it was missing its veteran starting quarterback in Mason Rudolph, whereas this week you got a team in West Virginia that's led by Will Greer, who's a potential Heisman hopeful and may have some better chemistry with his wide receivers, to be completely honest. And it'll be interesting to see how the defensive backs kind of deal with that, where you're not necessarily just kind of waiting for spots. You may have some wide receivers that kind of know where to go or kind of have this little innate little, uh, I guess, sense of sense of a zone to where they can kind of move somewhere and Will Greer knows where they'll be and he'll get them the ball. So it'll be interesting to see how they slow them down. The other interesting thing that I want to see is can Texas Tech run the football effectively again, because that's the one thing that uh, Texas Tech has been able to do, even though they're number one in the nation among power five teams in time of possession. I think that's the one big thing is they've just been uh, controlling the ball, even though, as you've mentioned, everyone knows it for being the quote unquote air raid offense. They've been running the football. They've been running out the clock. And that's the important thing. Once they get a lead, they've been able to really just kind of pound the ball and uh, put the pressure on the opposing offense, which if they're able to do that against West Virginia, I wouldn't call it a signature win, but I would certainly call it a, a, a two-game winning streak, which would be a huge thing for Cl- Coach Cl- Coach Cliff Kingsbury, pardon me, because uh, that'd be two wins against ranked opponents. So if Texas Tech is able to win this weekend against West Virginia – you look at the next stretch, it doesn't get a whole lot easier. I mean, you go to TCU, you yep. play Kansas, you're at Iowa State, a very solid program, versus Oklahoma, versus Texas, at Kansas State, versus Baylor. If they win this game and look the way that they did last week once again, what is the ceiling for this team? I mean, what does that season look like, do you think? I mean, I'll say this, that they've gotten back into the seven to eight win conversation. And then, of course, you kind of already brought up some of the games coming up. The one thing that I think I've seen, at least just kind of watching the small amount of football that I've been able to watch on TCU, Sean Robinson is turnover prone. And if you're able to create turnovers, which it seems like the Texas Tech defense is kind of built to do that, you're going to be in a good position to win against uh, TCU. And then, of course, Kansas, we all know how good Kansas is. Of course, there's a sarcasm, Um, (laughs) but uh, when you kind of look at what they have, I mean, you could potentially get a big winning streak here. But then, of course, as you mentioned, it's an if they can beat West Virginia. West Virginia is still a very good team. They are coached by a very, uh, I guess, well, well well-known coach to uh, the Texas Tech staff and Dana Holgerson. Of course, uh, Dana and Cliff uh, both know each other from previous uh, places, uh, previous stops, pardon me. So it should be an interesting game. Like I said, if they're able to establish a running game, can get ahead of West Virginia a couple couple uh, touchdowns, and they're able to create some turnovers, I think they're going to be in a good position to win because this could be, I think, their biggest test in terms of what they have to play in terms of an offense. And not only that, but then a defense that's really, really been uh, tough as nails against them over the last several years. Okay, well, last question. This upcoming Saturday is my first ever trip to Lubbock. So where are the spots I need to hit? Oh, man. You had to save the uh, most difficult one for uh, for the last one, didn't you? <laughs> well, it all depends, man. I mean, uh, I- I'm sure I'm, I'm going to get some uh, some calls from people if I don't mention some spots, but I-, I think the local spot would be Spanky's. You get some fried cheese from there. I know Matt Stepp, uh, your boy, uh, kind of knows about that spot. 
I have some other places uh, myself that I like to go. I know Triple J's is a nice spot for some uh, steaks as well, if you like the steak action there. And, of course, if you're uh, kind of wanting to enjoy the nightlife, Broadway is always a nice little spot to go. You can kind of figure out the spots there because there's pretty much walking distance from uh, spot to spot if you want to enjoy a nice, cold, uh, tasty beverage at, at those uh, establishments as well. But th- those would be the two main ones. But uh, I'm sure if, if, if you get here, I, I can give you some other uh, – some other shouts as well, because like I said, I don't want to leave anyone out, which I probably already did, and I'm sure I'm going to get calls about it. <laughs> That's Carlos Silva. He's sports editor over at the Lubbock Avalanche Journal. You can read all of his work there. Follow him on Twitter at CM Silva Jr. Carlos, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, appreciate you guys, and uh, safe travels to you, man. Thank you. And we're back. Time for our picks of the week. It's a fantastic week this week. Again, I mean, we learned a lot about all of these teams last weekend. We're going to learn even more this upcoming week. A bunch of teams start conference play this this upcoming week. It's going to be a tremendous slate. Last week, I started picking games against the spread. I think it's about right now. It's about right time now that conference play is getting underway. I went 5-4 and four last week. I'm not a cheater like Greg Tepper, who counts picking wins over FCS opponents. <laughs> I do not give myself credit. For, uh, for picking Houston against Texas Southern. So we're 5-4 and four after one week of picking games. And let's go ahead and get right underway. Texas A&M versus Arkansas at AT&T Stadium in Arlington, Texas. Texas A&M is 21-point favorites. And that's probably not that far off. Arkansas is really bad. <laughs> Arkansas last week loses to Auburn 34-3. And their defense actually plays pretty well, but their offense is just pitiful. And obviously a week earlier, they get bodied by North Texas. A week before that, they get bodied by Colorado State on the road. I mean, <laughs> Arkansas having a lot of trouble. And, you know, Chad Morris is going to get things turned around in Fayetteville, but not yet. Not yet. But I will say... Texas A&M and Arkansas always seem to play far closer than expected games. When Arkansas was pretty good and Texas A&M was not, they played close. When Texas A&M was really good and Arkansas was not, they played close. I think this game ends up being a little closer than expected. Now, A&M's going to win easily. It's not going to be close. But I think that maybe Arkansas scores a late touchdown to end up covering. I have this game at 38-28, so I have Arkansas covering the 21-point line. 21 is just a lot of points, especially in a game that's had weirdness before. I'm going to go ahead and take Arkansas with the points. A&M outright, let's be clear. A&M very much outright, but 21 is too many points for me. Next up, we've got Rice at Wake Forest, 2.30 p.m. on ESPN Extra. Rice is a 26-point underdog against Wake Forest, and Wake Forest is a very underrated football program. Dave Clawson has done a tremendous job with that offense. I think that... They're going to be able to put up a lot of points on Rice, but they don't necessarily score super quickly. That's not necessarily what they want to do. They want to beat you methodically. So 26 is a lot of points, and Wake Forest's defense has been kind of suspect this year. They're allowing 26.4 points per game. Rice last week plays against a very good Southern Miss defense and still puts up 22 points. I don't think this game will be close. But I think that Rice is going to score enough points that 26 is too many points. I have this at 44-20, a Wake Forest victory. But Rice does cover. And look, last week, Mike Bloomgren, the head coach at Rice, said 
I this was the first week that I didn't feel progress in that game against Southern Miss. I think there will be some progress again. It won't necessarily show up in the box score, but 20 points on the road against an ACC opponent, not bad. The 2.30 p.m. slot starts with Texas at Kansas State on FS1. Texas, of course, fresh off of a huge victory over number 17 TCU, 31-16. Kansas State, they lost 35-6 to West Virginia. Texas is nine-point favorites in this game. And look, here's what it comes down to. West Virginia has scored 16 total points against two Power 5 opponents this year, against Mississippi State and against West Virginia. And both of these are good programs. Both teams were ranked at the time that the game took place. But neither is really, really known for defense. Both of them have good defenses. And I think West Virginia might actually have a very good defense. And and Mississippi State has a very underrated defense. But 16 combined points against those two opponents, that's bad. That's really, really, really bad. Especially when the defense gave them opportunities, especially against West Virginia, causing some issues for Will Greer. But... I think it's going to end up being closer than expected. I think that Kansas State has Texas number in Manhattan. Like we mentioned, since 2002, that was the last time that Texas won a game in Manhattan, Kansas. And I think that streak ends. I think that Texas picks up its second all-time win in Manhattan, Kansas. But I do think that it ends up being around 17-7. to But good news. That does mean that Texas covers. I think this line is right about right. It's going to be a very low-scoring game. It's going to be extremely ugly. But I don't think that Kansas State is really going to be able to move the ball at all. And so, again, Texas 17-7. to Next up, we got Baylor at Oklahoma in Norman. 2.30 p.m. on huh, ABC. Who would have thought that Baylor would be on ABC this year? <laughs> but here they are. They're 23.5-point underdogs against the Sooners at in Norman. Last week, Baylor did beat Kansas 26-7, went up 23-0 at the half, beat them soundly, but that's not a full game of football. Really, the last two weeks, Baylor didn't play a full game of football. They played a great first half against Kansas, and they played a great second half against uh, Duke, but they were absolutely terrible in the first half against Duke and in the second half against Kansas. So what is this team? I don't know. Oklahoma, on the other hand, since losing Rodney Anderson, their offense just isn't the same. Last week, they needed overtime to beat Army 28-21 in what was easily the game of the week. Gosh, I mean, we're not encouraging, obviously, any sort of activity that goes outside the bend of the rules, but uh, a lot of people were watching that Oklahoma Army game on some questionable feeds because (laughs) it was a pay-per-view game. Who knew that that pay-per-view was still a thing in college football? Well, the answer is it really isn't, but in this one case it was. People were going to Twitch. I think that there was one Twitch streamer who had like 50,000 people watching his stream, <laughs> other people on Reddit. It, what, a, what a college football story. I mean, that's the sort of story that really can only happen in college football. Oklahoma does pull it out 28-21. to 21. They, they take care of business, but it got real dicey. And, and the, st- <laughs> the quote of the week so far, Matt Rule says that Baylor is practicing a little triple option. Just just a little triple option, you know, just to kind of <laughs> bring in there to, to face off against Oklahoma. I don't think it ends up mattering. I think Oklahoma wins 55-28. to 28. I think they cover, but Baylor's going to be able to do some things against this Oklahoma secondary and this front seven. I mean, Oklahoma's not very well constructed at either level. Mike Stoops still struggling to put his athletes in positions to make plays. 
Baylor's able to take advantage of that at times, but it's not enough. Oklahoma's going to go wild against that Baylor secondary. That's been very inconsistent so far this season. Again, Oklahoma 55, Baylor 28, Oklahoma covers. Next up, we've got TCU versus Iowa State in Fort Worth, 6 p.m. on ESPNU. ESPNU. That's a name I haven't heard in a very long time. <laughs> TCU is 10.5-point favorites against the Cyclones. Last week, TCU lost 31-16 to to Texas. Sean Robinson, the quarterback, has six, six uh, turnovers in his last two games, three in each against Texas and Ohio State. Iowa State... Need a little bit of help to beat Akron 26-13. Not the greatest <laughs> not the greatest momentum builder heading into this game, but Iowa State has the ability to hang on to the football. David Montgomery is one of the best running backs in the entire country, and his offensive line isn't particularly good, so his numbers aren't necessarily fantastic, but he's able to fight through, a t- uh, through defensive players. He's able to break tackles. Last season, I want to say he actually broke the record for most broken tackles in a season. Now that stat's only been kept since 2013 or so, but he's breaking a lot of tackles. And I would say his offensive line is a little better, so I think he's going to be able to make things happen against TCU. And Iowa State's going to be able to hold on to the football. That's what it comes down to, I think. Iowa State has to be able to hold on to the football, make things ugly, make Sean Robinson make mistakes, which is something he is absolutely prone to do. Again, the line is 10.5. I think TC wins 27-21, to 21, but Iowa State covers with only a six-point loss, maybe a late touchdown, maybe a late field goal, who knows. But Iowa State does cover. Again, it's a 10.5-point line. That's a little too much for me especially for a TCU team that hasn't proven that they can put up a whole lot of points. Next up is the Misery Bowl, UTSA versus UTEP. UTEP in search of its first victory since December 2016. It's been so long since UTEP has won a game, their last one was actually against UNT in Seth Luttrell's first season. Things have changed a lot since that moment, and I don't think it necessarily changes now. UTSA... They pick up a narrow victory over Texas State. It was a rivalry game, but it was only 25-21. to 21. Not very impressive. They needed a late safety to be able to pull off that win against Texas State. Who Texas State is one of the worst FBS programs. But UTEP is the worst. The singular worst. UTEP is 10-point underdogs. And like I've said, I have a policy. I will not pick UTEP in any game until they win the dang game. And that continues this weekend. UTSA 24, UTEP 7. UTSA, I think, doesn't necessarily have a great offense, but they have a good enough offense to at least keep things moving. They're able to score just enough points. And I think they cover. I don't think this is a competitive game at all. UTEP can't really do anything. I don't have faith in them to do anything. And I think that rears its ugly head against the UTSA defense. It's actually pretty good not great but pretty good next up we have smu versus houston baptist no line on this game it's against an fcs opponent more than anything from smu i just want to see what they do at quarterback last week they beat navy 31 to 30 quarterback will brown a true freshman does get the start 
But then Ben Hicks comes into the game just for overtime, exclusively for overtime, and manages to throw a touchdown pass and a two-point conversion on a, on a trick play. So what do they do now? I think that both quarterbacks will play against Houston Baptist. It would be a surprise to not see that. And maybe Sonny Dykes makes his decision from there. is going to win easy 42-13. to Like I said, we're not cheaters like Greg Tepper. We don't give ourselves credit for picking FCS games. But SMU does win this game very easily. One of the games of the weekend, UNT versus Louisiana Tech. As we mentioned, this is Mean Joe Green night. They're going to be wearing the throwback 1967 jerseys. They're going to have a number 75 on the field for the first time since then. 6.30 p.m. on BN Network. If that's not enough for you to buy tickets and go to the game, I don't know what will be. UNT is a 7.5-point favorite against Louisiana Tech. Last week, UNT beat Liberty 47-7 easily, even after a rain delay. Louisiana Tech, they played number 6 LSU and actually gave them quite a fight. They only lost 38-21 to against LSU, which now moved up to number 5 in the entire country. So Louisiana Tech is a dang good football team. Like we mentioned, 9 wins in 4 of the last 6 seasons. They're a program that can win Conference USA every single season. It's going to be a good test. It's really going to be a good test. And that's why the line is only 7.5. But UNT is a covering machine. They've won all of their games so far by multiple, multiple touchdowns. Uh, all four of their games so far. And, th- and they've played a pretty tough schedule uh, for Conference USA. They've played SMU. They've played Arkansas. They've played on the road against Liberty. It's been a tough stretch. And they've won each of their games by 20-plus points. And I think that continues. UNT 44, Louisiana Tech 21 is my pick. UNT covers. I don't think it's necessarily going to be that close. It's going to be a fantastic day. Again, I'm sad that I can't make it down, or up, I guess, to Denton for this game because it's going to be a fantastic day, fantastic day to celebrate a legend. Rumor has it that more uh, Pittsburgh Steelers from the 1970s teams could be there to help uh, celebrate me and Joe Green. It's going to be too much happiness going on, too much excitement in the air. UNT is able to take care of business, no problem. Finally, the game that I'm going to, Texas Tech versus West Virginia. Texas, State, Texas Tech is number 25 in the country. West Virginia is number 12. The game is an 11 a.m. start on ESPN2 because, for whatever reason, they decide that Texas A&M versus Arkansas needs to be on the main ESPN for reasons that are unclear to everybody. Texas Tech is a three-and-a-half-point underdog. Now, West Virginia and Texas Tech are kind of teams that are very similar, honestly. They both have great offensive coaching staffs. They both have underrated defenses. Uh, Texas Tech last week goes on the road, beats Oklahoma State 41-17 to in Stillwater, a place that people don't usually win. West Virginia, they go and play Kansas State. They win 35-6. to their defense plays fantastic. So now you have these two teams coming in. Very, again, very similar teams. I almost feel like West Virginia is kind of the next evolution of Texas Tech. I think that they're a more developed version of Texas Tech. Uh, Will Greer, obviously a senior. He's averaging 372 yards per game. And he's thrown 14 touchdowns in three games. Are you kidding me? 74.7% completion percentage. Wilker is ridiculous. He's lived up to the hype and then some through the first couple weeks of the year. 
and he lost a game because that North Carolina State game was canceled because of the hurricane. <laughs> so Greer's really dang good, but they've been balanced everywhere else too. Their defense is playing at a very high level. During the offseason, you really saw that West Virginia was a program that was getting a lot of transfers and a lot of grad transfers specifically. Kenny Bigelow, their defensive tackle, former USC five-star player, has been absolutely huge for them. Um, it, their defense has worked so far. Maybe once they get hurt, they don't have a whole ton of depth. That's the big question, but they haven't gotten hurt as yet. Texas Tech, their defense has been a little more inconsistent. Last week, they played absolutely tremendously with Deshaun Johnson in the lineup, but before that, gave up 49 points to Houston. Didn't look very good against Ole Miss. Gave up some really, really big plays. So I think that Texas Tech is maybe just a little earlier along the evolution curve compared to West Virginia, just because of the talent that West Virginia has right now. Now, West Virginia doesn't necessarily have as established a running game as Texas Tech has been able to have the past couple of games, and that's going to come up big. If Texas Tech is able to hold on to the ball a little bit longer than West Virginia, which they are wont to do, that's huge. I do think it eventually turns into a shootout. I do think it becomes 44-38 to 38 West Virginia. I don't think Texas Tech is quite ready. Texas Tech showed a lot last weekend. They deserve all the credit in the world for playing as well as they played last weekend against Oklahoma State. But doing it week in and week out is a little bit of a tougher ask, especially when you've got at TCU next week. That's that's as tough a three-game stretch as anybody in the country has. You know, playing number 15 Oklahoma State on the road, hosting number 12 West Virginia, and then going on the road against TCU. That's a tough, tough stretch, especially in the Big 12. So I don't think that Texas Tech is quite able to pull off the victory, but I think it's still an impressive game. We come away impressed. We come away realizing that this Texas Tech team is legit. They're just not quite ready to beat a number 12 team in the country quite as yet. But it's going to be a great atmosphere. Like I mentioned, I'm heading out there. My first trip to Lubbock. If you have any suggestions for Lubbock, let me know. I'm excited to head out there. I've heard the drive sucks. <laughs> I'm obviously coming from the Louisville area in Dallas. So it's going to be about a five-hour drive. So, you know, hopefully that'll be all right. But it's going to be an exciting time in Lubbock. I'm hoping that the, the stands are absolutely packed. It's one of the bigger games that we've seen in the Cliff Kingsbury era, honestly. Especially for a home game. Number 25 versus number 12. It's been a while since Texas Tech's been able to have a ranked game at home at Jones AT&T Stadium. I'm excited. Again, I think West Virginia does pull it off, but Texas Tech is legit. I think this Texas Tech team is really good. I think it's the evolution of what Cliff Kingsbury has been trying to build here, what David Gibbs has been trying to build here. Now it's just time to have some consistency. And again, Texas Tech's going to play very well. They're going to eventually lose, but... I think they'll be back in the AP Top 25 before too long. Anyway, everyone, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you to Carlos Silver, our, our guest from the Lubbock Avalanche Journal. There, got it that time. Sports editor over there. Follow him on Twitter, at CM Silva Jr. Follow me on Twitter, at Shahan J. Raja. Follow us on Twitter, at DCTF. Those are the only accounts you have to worry about following. If you enjoyed the podcast, please get, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, give us a five-star review if you enjoy the show. We'd like to, again, give a quick thank you to North Texas Honda dealers. North Texas Honda dealers, they're here to help. They're great partners to us. Uh, you know, They have so much integrity, and, and they are willing to give you a good deal. Go and check them out if you're in the market for a new car. I did. 
They were fantastic to me. This was before they were even sponsoring us. <laughs> I've absolutely loved my Honda Accord. You should get one too. Thank you so much for joining us, and we'll be back with you on Sunday to recap everything that happens in week five of the college football season. So thank you so much, and we'll talk to you soon.